dopamine swipe, dopamine, dopamine swipe. Follow us, likes, double tap. What is going on, beautiful people? Welcome back to the 817 Podcast, where we talk about the lovely city of Fort Worth, Texas. We talk about business, culture, new developments that are important to you. We get into politics, trends, and really look at the data, um, all the local journalism that's going on in the city, across the state, across the country, and really make it purposeful in a one-hour episode for a busy Fort Worthian like you to stay in tune and continue to make the proper steps to make this place better. I'm with Ann Zeta. How goes it? It goes pretty well. Happy to be here today. Yes, so we got to hang out this week. I know this is the second week that we have come in to record the podcast, having been together at something in person earlier in the week. Yeah, I know. I've been home home, so I haven't left for work work yet. Oh, okay. Yeah. So we've been able to catch all of these. There you go. Usually we get up to your intuition to make it happen because you're, you go to a lot of events because your work is important uh, here in Fort Worth and you are still an engaged citizen and I appreciate that. Yeah, I try. I think um, people talk about how busy I am and I always answer by saying not as busy as I used to be, but I will say that my calendar has started <laughs> to get a little bit more uh, scheduled up. And where I used to say to people when they wanted to get together, oh, my schedule is pretty flexible. Let me know when you're available because I'm probably going to be less structured than you are. And then I started looking for lunches and dinners and times to be able to get together the last couple of weeks. And I've been like, oh, it's starting to get a little bit packed up here. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. And uh, so we were on your uh, uh, your campus, TCU. Did you go to TCU at any I time? did not go to oh, TCU. I for some reason thought you did something there. At no, one point. I live right near TCU. Okay, I guess so. That's it. I actually went to two events in at TCU in the last couple of weeks, and I walked to both of them from my house. Yeah, I thought that's what you were doing. That's what I thought. I I, I was wondering. I beat you there. But, yeah, but I also you drove a car, drove a car, and got there early. Yes, because we went right after work because you know the traffic. Yeah. So. Well, I I had seen um, Betsy Price had shared on her social media that she was going to be on a panel that was entitled "Challenges to Democracy," and so I jotted that down and saw that it was at TCU and sent you a text message and said, "Hey, are you going to this?" Yeah. And so you and Monica came and we yep. all partook, and. Um, so we started off by saying that Betsy had shared that this was happening. And then when we arrived, I did not see Betsy there and came to find out that the panel who was originally going to consist of, um, Wendy Davis, former Senator Wendy Davis and former district nine city councilwoman Wendy Davis as well. Um, and Betsy Price and judge Whitley and Jared Williams, um, a combination of former electeds and a current elected, to explore strategies for building a more collaborative society. And again, it was titled Challenges to Democracy. But when we got there, Betsy was not there, and they they said she was unable to attend, and I guess they slotted in Brian to cover her um, section of that conversation. Betsy got a DM from Nikki Haley to got to go somewhere to mobilize. But I'm always blown away how, like, Betsy and Brian are so cool still after I feel like they riff a lot. Like, I feel like they go at each other a lot, at least on the news or like quotes. So, well, I I think during the mayoral campaign, there was some strife (laughs) there just because of who Betsy was supporting in that race and Brian was running in that race. And that, that topic, that, that election cycle did come up on the panel. Yep. Um, Uh, They were asking kind of everybody to talk about the challenges basically that are facing our democracy. And they started off asking them some questions about, you know, what is democracy and lots of uh, quotes about the Constitution and the founding of our country and that sort of thing and how things are supposed to work. Yeah. Did you have any big takeaways? I think I I, people have asked me about it and I kind of summed it up in just a couple of sentences. And that was basically that I felt like. For the most part, this group was kind of reasonable people, um, you know, two of them identifying as Republican and two of them identifying as Democrats, and that they're mainly all four of them, you know, more or less in the reasonable scope of those identifiers. And they pointed out that basically it's people on the extremes. And there was examples of extremes, and for the most part, most of those examples were on the Republican side, but it was very hastily pointed out by the Republicans that, oh, it's both sides, it's both sides. But I didn't hear very many examples of the the other side. But anyway. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, one, I mean, I you know, Brian Bird thinks 
gay people are going to hell. He is a part of the extremism piece, if that is how he feels still, from a recording from a long time ago. Yeah, that didn't come up on the panel this <laughs> yeah. around. And so it was a bummer to see that Betsy Price was not there because I think she has a better representation of the center of the like Cowtown culture. I feel like Bird is just more of our our local Ben Shapiro. Like you, I just feel like he just listens to him every week. It just it sounds similar. Uh, where they tell the two kid, the two parent stuff, and like the whole dad around family and religion and stuff like that. But he he he's likable though. I guess I kind of he was he, was he very almost likeable. always points out a book that he's read that I always go and look up. And the book about Abraham Lincoln that he yeah, mentioned, yeah. I went and looked up and started listening to the book on tape, and it is very much about how you can work with and get along with people who are not necessarily of yeah. the same party, and how Lincoln appointed people to yeah. his cabinet who had all been his adversaries in his presidential election. And that I found to be very interesting. So I think he, he reads a lot of things and I'm not necessarily sure he follows through with all of the things that he reads about in the way yeah. that I would. But as yeah. he pointed out on the panel, he mentioned that I was there yeah, and that yeah. we had served together on the council and that we don't necessarily agree on everything from a political perspective that, but, but that we were always polite to one another and that he was told when he got on council that that's the way Fort Worth City Council runs is that we don't throw each other under the bus or get personal or call each other out even in disagreements. Um, And that, you know, I thought that that's true for the most part, I think. Um, There was some concern when they added additional council members that maybe that congeniality would go away or lessen in Fort Worth. And I don't necessarily think that's really happened. But Anyway, getting back to the panel, and they were asked, one of the questions that they were asked that I thought was interesting was, um, had any of them done something while they served in office or in the pursuit of, of being in office that they regretted? Um, and most of it was um, kind of to that piece about being, um, not being rude to one another Understanding that everybody is a person, knowing people um, as people and not just their their political association. Uh, so I thought that was interesting. I think Jared Williams made a point of saying that when he runs, he he said he collects all of the political mailings, which I do too, but I, don't, I haven't kept all of them. Like I keep them through that election cycle. He has a file cabinet apparently full of all the campaign mailings that ha- have ever come to his house. But he said that he focuses on putting information in campaign mailings that tout what he will bring in his service and not attacking or pointing out negatively the person they're running against. And so I think that was one of the um, regrets that Brian mentioned that he had for things that he did in his mayoral campaign. But he made a comment about taking a year and a half to recover psychologically from that race and that I felt that in my soul <laughs> having participated in yeah. that same campaign uh, I, I think my my couple of takeaways was number one the demographics of the room I mean everyone was uh, white older um, there was a comment about we shouldn't have two 80 year old presidents and you kind of looked at me and was like hey you know well the people who vote are also older the people who come to are this, in room. this room <laughs> yeah, yeah. are also so, so. mainly older yeah yeah, I think it was a, a journalism, the TCU School of Journalism and alumni um, organizations that put that out. And I didn't see any publicity about it except for Betsy sharing about it. Um, and so I think it mainly went out to like the Silver Frogs, which are the yeah. older alumni yeah. of TCU. Um, I got to see a lot of people that live in the neighborhoods around TCU that I hadn't seen in a while. So that was really nice. Yeah. But yeah. Um, yeah, I think that definitely that demographic was not super diverse. Yeah. My, my other take, though, was Glenn Whitley at the powerful part. I didn't stay for the whole time, but Glenn Whitley acknowledged like the whole voting stuff and how much of a scam people are worried about voter fraud and how that's just simply not true. I thought I thought him talking about that, people clapping after that being like, oh, OK, so there's some consciousness in here. People are thinking for themselves. Yeah, um, that was really nice to see. And then. Wendy Davis, I thought her uh, comments around um, Texas being afraid of its citizenry was a really beautiful, eloquent way to look at it on how we don't make it easier for people to vote. Um, I thought that was awesome as well. Well, and they did touch a lot on the redistricting as well. They say like over the 10-year period um, between censuses when they 
um, the districts exist and people move around. And so sometimes they move towards being more 50-50 and being more, you know, toss up that either party could win them. But then every time that redistricting happens, it's the people who are in power at the time that get to make those decisions. And therefore, they go back to making them as safe as they possibly can for their constituency. And all of that is just really frustrating to me because, you know, having served in a nonpartisan office, I worked really, really hard to make sure that I was representing everyone. And I think that even if you win in a partisan office, ideally, you would still represent everyone. And I see us moving away from that, which is, I think, the reason why they put this panel together to talk about that. And I think my takeaway was that all these people are reasonable, rational people that agree that these extremes are wagging the dog. And I don't know that I came away with any solutions to that um, because those those, uh, you know, sound bites and fear tactics are causing those extremes to come out and vote. And then you continue to kind of get that extreme result yeah yeah and and that is um it's always gonna have to take the party to look within themselves the moderates from their party you know figuring out the battle with their extremes and currently tarrant county is just under um attack because our moderate republicans won't step up to their extremists who are winning elections over them let's go ahead and move into story number two which also kind of plays to this stronghold i feel like it kind of goes together in a little bit fort worth magazine just had a um i saw the instagram posts and it was the fort worth magazine with a with a longhorn on it and uh the the title was don't cali our Cowtown," and i'm like here we go again uh but reading the article it was by brian kendall in the fort worth magazine it, it's a really long and it provides a lot of interesting data or, or, or storytelling. Um, and, and it's really informative. So being a short story, we won't be able to get through it all. Yeah. Uh, we encourage you to go read it. It's, it is very long. Yeah, it goes yeah. into a lot of data, both about Texas and California. Yeah. And so I, I think at the end of the day, um, the reason why we're talking about it is because it just re one, it, to me, Fort Worth Magazine is one of those publications that frame in the existence that Fort Worth Cowtown and cowboy culture is the epitome of what Fort Worth represents, and it's the best part of us. But now that we're growing, we can't have our cake and eat it too, which was a comment he said in there. And I think that whole framing is why I'm not a fan, really, of the Fort Worth Magazine. Like, I don't listen to it or subscribe to it, but um, I do appreciate the young journalists who tried to make it more modern. What was your take? Well, I mean, it's interesting because it's basically a whole article talking about Californians moving to Texas and that whole thing of anytime anybody suggests that we consider anything that might have originated in California, that this is something that we must battle with all of our might. And as a Californian that moved to Texas (laughs) 33 years ago, I guess I was ahead of this curve (laughs) of all these Californians coming to Texas. Um, But they're, they're, You know, the influences they're talking about, they're saying perhaps aren't really changing Fort Worth in the way that people think that it might be, Um, because many of the people from California that are moving here are probably more of a um, conservative-leaning folks. Um, I had a conversation with somebody the other day about how we are a city approaching a million people, and everybody thinks that if we don't hold on to our small town culture and mentality and feel that we're going to be losing everything that is good about Fort Worth. But we're not a small town. And And those weren't the good parts of Fort Worth. Yeah, there's, I mean, and if we hold on to some of that, we're going to end up having the negative things of growth that are pointed out in this article impact us even more negatively. So you can still have the welcoming, the 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 friendly, all of those things can still happen, and you can still realize that you have to plan for growth, and you can't continue to have your transportation be the same as it is when you're a small town, have your infrastructure be the same as it is when you're a small town, not embrace a variety of housing types to accommodate the people that are coming here. Yeah, I, I just... We don't, one, the idea that this old small town Fort Worth was the thing that makes Fort Worth cool. No, what makes Fort Worth cool today is where Fort Worth is going. 
Fort Worth in the past, in my argument, would be the reason why Fort Worth may not grow to its potential because we're holding on to small town roots. And what happens with small town roots, we then create growth that makes us feel more and more like suburbs because we don't want to feel like a city. We continue to expand out, pit people on islands in their little neighborhood blocks. And yeah, it feels like a small town because everyone in that little block knows each other. And Fort Worth is starting to clump together into those spaces. The other part about it that just gets really annoying about it is just, uh, you know, the Fort Worth mags description on the Instagram. This is what the post says. We don't suspect anyone's to trade in their horses, their, their horses for boogie boards or cowboy hats for frosted tips. One, it's just like both of these are that's Fort Worth magazine operates in in the old establishment of white predominant jokes and perspectives. One, Californians are predominantly Hispanic and so is Texas. And so nobody is having frosted tips, boogie boards, horses, or cowboys hats really anymore anyways. None of that. All that's all that is fake. Stereotypes. Yeah, it's just big stereotypes that don't exist anymore. And as a Northern Californian, it, <laughs> it drives me crazy because that's just Southern yeah. California, if you're going to be honest yeah, about yeah, it. Exactly. So then they go into how only it's only 6.5% of Fort, of Fort Worth's uh, growth is Californians. Another five, you know, it was Dallas growth over to Fort Worth was similar. Um, and then the other part that really frustrates me is that um, this idea that just like, like the problem is, is uh, California is moving in. It's more, everyone wants to still live in a small town in Fort Worth. So what you're seeing is counties like Dallas County, Travis County, Harris County are all seeing slower population growth than their surrounding suburbs because people are moving out towards that way. Uh, and so that, 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 that lack of wanting to grow up and live in a big city is what's killing Fort Worth is us wanting to still act like everything is small. So we continue to expand out rather than building a really strong center. Yeah. And that's not, um, economically sustainable either because people go out and live in those areas and then they don't have the resources and the amenities that they really want. And then they demand that those things happen. And then the city's pushed into, providing those things in a more sprawly spread out way, which is more roads to pave and maintain more infrastructure, buildings, community centers, all the different things that people, once they get to a place go, Oh, these things are missing. Now we want the city to provide those things out here. Yeah. So I think, and, and, but they did mention that transportation needs to be <laughs> <laughs> namely public transportation. So I'm always going to give a shout out when somebody Speaks and, up and says yeah. we need to improve public transportation. And then the other big piece that I always hate is when we we act like California is going to the dumpster. Anyone ever been to California? It is way cooler than where we live. All right. I mean, we got potential. The only people are here because it's affordable and there's potential. And I just like I'm reading stats right here, and this will be in the will be in the show notes. The San Francisco and San Jose Metro has seen some of the fastest growth in America over the last three years and outside of Dallas have been the largest con contributor to the nationwide's GDP gains. So this whole idea that for at California is not economically viable also just has to stop. You know, it's just it, not factual. Yeah. So it's just, I mean, as a person whose entire family lives in California <laughs> and my children have left Texas to go to California <laughs> Um, I, I hear the stories and people pointing out, you know, the, the scary big cities and naming off these cities that are struggling with all of these things. It's not that they're not struggling with these things, but they're not as terrible as these. It's, it's all that fear tactic stuff, you know, mm -hmm. no, don't go to this place or that place. We went to San Francisco over Christmas and yes, there's homelessness in yeah. San Francisco, but I, I just think that it's not, you know, it's like pointing at the boogeyman. Yeah. When the boogeyman is in our own backyard, you know, and it's the suburbs that are we continue to build houses on, which is fine. We need affordable housing is the solution to, to, to a lot of things. And I hear for affordable housing, but how we do it in Texas is we're just becoming an alter interweb of suburbs. Um, and that is going to be interesting as we all have to get on roads. And I just I, you know, I went up to Dallas yesterday. And it's the first time I drove in a long time in the dark. And I was like, man, this is since coming back from Japan. I was like, 
I now realize why well, this is actually a horrible way to travel. It I is. so wish they'd be on a train right now. So I'm not stressed about getting in a car crash right now trying to go to the Mavericks game. Friday night, <laughs> we went to Dallas to have dinner with friends. And when we put it in the GPS, it was an hour and 20 minutes to get to Mockingbird Station where we were meeting them to eat. And on the way home, it was like 45 minutes. Yeah. But like you said, in the dark, on that highway, yeah. with people driving like crazy people. Yep. Being passed on both sides, going to reasonable speed. My husband was driving. He's not as slow of a driver as I am. Yep. And people were passing him on both sides. <laughs> it was ridiculous. Yeah. So anyways, so a lot of the talk to me, I think if you overall look at that short story conversation with with the TCU uh, panel and, and the Cal, uh, the Fort Worth Magazine story, um, it's it's what's really it, it hurting Fort Worth inability to be what it can really be is us wanting to hold on to this small town cowboy culture roots um, because we're all here. People like me who moved here in 2017, people I see here is because we're entrepreneurially seeing the, the quality of what this city can be like. And so we want to be a part of it. And so I know a lot of you listening to this feel the same way. We're going to move into story number three, which actually, if you really look at it, continues to be a discussion about Fort Worth of the past Trying, and Fort Worth and for the future. Yeah. So go ahead and bring in this story. So this article is a Fort Worth report article titled Burnett Foundation spent $1 billion on Fort Worth. Will next generation step up? When Fort Worth's population was no more than 400,000, Ann Marin was about to receive so much money that at first she didn't know what to do with it. So she basically set up a foundation. Um, and that foundation has funded, as the title of the article suggests, $1, million, $1 billion in Fort Worth. And the benefit of that has been a very big focus on the arts, for sure. But what I thought was interesting just about the questions that are being asked in here, because the Burnett Foundation is um, has distributed its, its funds and is going to be no more at some point. Um, and that is leaving a hole that will need to be filled. Um, and what is going to take the place of that? And this harkens back to, you know, in what what aspects of quality of life should be supported and funded by your local government and what should be supported and funded by nonprofits and the private sector and the whole public-private partnerships that city the city of Fort Worth is so well known for. Um, because some of these dollars are no longer going to be here on the private side. And as someone who runs a nonprofit now and is in circles of all these nonprofits, we're all competing for the same dollars. And, you know, if people change their mind about what the area of emphasis that they want to be, or as this article talks about, the next generation of those families has a different focus and wants to do something different with those dollars. Um, that's just not something that's going to be able to sustain what has been funded through these things in the past. So the, the article does go into the future of what philanthropy will look like in Fort Worth and who's going to fill these holes. And there are other foundations that are listed. Um, but I think that what I, what I, think about whenever I see these articles and these conversations is every time there's something that needs to be funded in Fort Worth, the jump to by residents is, well, why don't you, we ask this wealthy family to pay for that? Or why don't we ask that wealthy family to pay for that? And, and then people get upset when wealthy families do make decisions about what they want to spend their money on, which they have the right to do. Um, and they say, you know, oh, they're just greedy because they're doing this or that or the other thing. And I just think that that's not the case. I think we should not look to wealthy families as a sustainable forever way of funding the things that are important to us. We should be glad that some of those wealthy families did choose to do that. And some of these foundations were set up and funded some amazing stuff. Um, but it's not going to be the end all be all of how these things go into the future. And so as this article points out, they're going to have to find some other ways and we all need to step up and support the things that are important to us. Yeah. And, and, when I talk, to, when I hear people talk who are close to kind of this legacy, there's a lot of optimism about their kids and the future of who gets passed down this money. But then I hear another set of people like these people do not care about Fort Worth, don't live in Fort Worth, and they're they're past this, you know, conversation. I think where I will, I my challenge is I, the problem with billionaires is like they're most likely going to fund TCU and the Modern Art Museum and not even think about something like the Juneteenth Museum. You know, when you're 
a part of how you donate is a part of how you see the world. And unfortunately, when you get rich and wealthy and it's legacy, you know, generationally, um, that money's tied to um, an aura of way that things have been. So you don't invest in more equitable organizations that look like the people of today. Um, and I and I think that was something I would feel like even going all the way up to Mackenzie Scott's donations. Like Mackenzie Scott did great donating, but she donated to very legacy organizations, um, you know, when she did it. So I think that's just a, a billionaire issue as a whole is um, donating to people who don't look like you and large institutions that have been here for decades, you know, um, because then you just get the same. Um that would be my big thing, but I don't know if Fort Worth's going to have enough rich people in the future to fund it. So, like you said, we need to put it in our the annual budget for the city yeah, budget, yes, not just the whims of individual people's passion projects. No, I think it's uh, kind of just part of that same culture we talked about of of getting ready for um, the new Fort Worth and where Fort Worth needs to go to really be awesome. Um, and how do we deal with the legacy perception that the good old days was actually the peak of Fort Worth's greatness? Um, all righty. Well, we're excited um, to have our big story be an interview with Crystal Gaydon. She is an attorney, but also the Tarrant Democratic Party chair. Uh, and that has been new leadership in a position uh, in an organization that is looking to get us mobilized. They had a, a fundraiser event. Yes, uh, this weekend. And uh, they had a great showing and it was Mardi Gras theme and sad to learn about it late. But we're excited to have her today afterwards to talk more about the future of the Tarrant Democratic Party, have an honest assessment of where we are today. And it was just good having her here in person. And uh, please follow all Tarrant Democratic uh, uh, Party's social medias. That will be into the descriptions as well. Um, and we look forward to having her on in the future. Here is Crystal Gator. My Fort Worth story is um, I am a native of Houston, Texas, but law school brought me here in the year of 2000 something. Um, and so I attended Texas Wesleyan. I graduated from Texas Wesleyan and I have been here ever since. I think I graduated in 09. Yeah. And so my, my dream was to go back home to Houston, um, but that didn't work out. And so I've been here ever since. Uh, built we a practice. That in common. Yes, we do. We do. <laughs> I moved here and did not plan to stay as well. <laughs> Yet here we are. Yet here we are. <laughs> Making a difference. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, I've started a practice here and I've, I've just settled in Fort Worth. Yeah. What What do you miss of Houston that you wish Fort Worth had? Um, what do I miss in Houston? Um, Democrats in control. <laughs> um, that really didn't matter. I, I wasn't involved in politics when I was in, in at home in Houston. I mean, that's where I was born and raised. I actually didn't get involved into politics until about two or three years ago. Um, but Houston will always be home. I don't miss the traffic. I don't miss the growth. But um, I spent the majority of my life there. And now Fort Worth is now becoming the majority of my life. And so there is a slower pace here, you know, um, more of a sense of calm, if, if that even is, you know, it's relative to um, time frame and what you have going on in life. But home is home. And, you know, I've made Fort Worth home. I don't have any intentions or expectations of going back to Houston anytime soon. So if anybody's listening, um, 817 is where it's at right now. <laughs> I love it. Um, so you said three years you got into politics. What made you make that leap? Oh, my goodness. Um, yeah. So I am a family law attorney. I've been um, at that particular time had been in practice. I want to say about 11 or 12 years. And I, when I started practice, I did just about everything from criminal defense to probate um, and probably um, eight years ago, I decided to focus primarily on family law and the dynamics of the court system in family law court in Tarrant County is such that it is the same of all the courts. It is the same. Um, and when I say the same, um, the courts were um, the elected officials were Republican. Um, everybody looked the same, had similar backgrounds, but the people that came in there who, um, had to rely upon the judges to make the decisions were not the same. 
And so the same rulings and the same dispositions were being laid across the board, regardless of what was happening. And so I decided, well, we can't keep doing that. Right. My, my practice is very diverse. I think Tarrant County needs a very diverse court system. And so I decided to throw my hat in the ring, run for family court judge for the 324th District Court. And that was in 2021. So your comments about the the judges in Tarrant County, I'm married to an attorney. So, you know, he keeps tabs on all of that. And I think that your observations are, are pretty clear. And also coming from California, where judges don't run in partisan races, um, it was eye-opening to come here to Texas, where that is different. Very different. And um, I, I, I don't know that it does the system justice to have judges run on a partisan basis, because as soon as you're sworn in um, and you take the oath of office, you take the oath of office to be nonpartisan. But in order to even get into that position, you had to take a partisan stand um, and nothing in family court. The issues that parties and litigants deal with is partisan or nonpartisan at all. Right. And so um, I, I think there needs to be some change. And that's a whole nother topic in our legislature on how we change the elections for judges in Texas. Um, but, you know, Put my name out there. That's where I met Ann. That's where I met a lot of people um, throughout the process. November 8, 2022 was election day. And Didn't my win. birthday. <laughs> or oh, was it? <laughs> wow. It is a day in, in, in my life that will um, always resonate well with me. Right. You know, um, I ran almost 20 months in order to try to be successful. And although it was not a win the way that I wanted it to be it was a win in a lot of other spaces and areas and so um it helped create a platform for me um to now be chair of the tarrant county democratic party and kind of move our party forward in a way um that i i, I felt like we were probably lacking and missing when i was running for office so and i think that's why we're really excited to have you on the top of the year um yeah. of, a, of a big election year mm-hmm. um what what is the current state of the Tarrant Democratic Party uh, here in Tarrant County and your organization and the organization? And how could things like the 817 pod and, and Democrats, progressives across the county uh, be more aware and just be more involved in the work you're doing? Well, the state of the party is we do exist. <laughs> OK, we do exist. Um, and right now what we're working on is um, framework and foundation. Um I, I think for the most part, my observation as a candidate was simply that um, I knew that it existed, but it didn't have the reach that I, I thought as a candidate it should have. I know that in this role, I'm learning that it's not necessarily the party's fault. It's just kind of the structure of where we are in Tarrant County and in Texas. Right. Um, and so. Um, myself, along with our staff, Candace Sublett, who is our executive director, we're working on, again, changing the face of the party. And what that means for us is um, showing up in spaces and at different times beyond just right before an election. Right. Um, one of the things that we've heard throughout the course of our leadership is the party only shows up when they want my vote. Well, Traditionally, at least in in my background, I'm not going to trust you if I only see you at certain times of the year. Right. I want to know that throughout the year you're there. You're in my neighborhood. You're showing up at my church. You're showing up at my community event. You're at the car wash. Right. You're at you're selling cookies for Girl Scouts. And I, I think people become more trusting when they see the party, um, those in leadership at the party showing up in different spaces that are not necessarily or traditionally political in nature. And so um, I think part B of your question was, what can the community do? First, tap into um, all of our platforms, right? So we're on all social media platforms. We have a website that is ever evolving every single day because, of course, nothing in what we do stays the same. And so... That's the first thing. Become knowledgeable that we exist. Become knowledgeable of our structure because we put that out there. And then 
uh, if you see that it is something that aligns with what you believe in, volunteer. The majority of how the party works and functions is by volunteer. I'm a volunteer. I don't get paid. We have three staff members and they get very they get paid a very minimal salary because I think you touched on initially how the the shift in the GOP versus the Democratic Party is just not the same and that we, we can talk about that. But we have a very limited staff that makes a very limited income or salary. But the majority of what we do is just run by people who've decided I'm going to commit two hours a week. I'm going to commit five hours a week. I'm going to commit 20 hours a month in order to support the cause. And so for me, who pointed the finger at the party for almost 20 years and talked about how um, uninvolved or unengaged or unhelpful they were to candidates, now in this role, it's like, okay, I get it. Y'all just didn't have the manpower to do it. I get it. And so um, our, our reach, our, our ask is don't point the finger, right? Find out what we're doing. Um, and if you see we are insufficient in areas and you feel like you can fulfill that role, step up and do it. And so. it's better to figure out where you f can fit in and, and lend your talents than to just make accusations about what's not happening. And then they point at you and say, well, then you do it. Exactly. 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 Yeah. And I think I think, you know, I'm I've been I, I, I've been bitter with the Tarrant Democratic Party Um more because I've ran this podcast for three years and I've had more Republicans reach out or easier to coordinate. And I don't even think y'all knew we existed. And so I was like, well, if we have a thousand people listening every week and only 50,000 people in Tarrant County work primary, that means 2% of the people who vote is listening to this pod. And for some reason, the democratic party don't know who I am. Exactly. But and that's, so that's on relationships. Yeah. That that yeah. falls on relationship yeah. building. I don't know no Republicans, but they found it. And so I and that's the part that I think. But I agree because it's capacity. They have a lot more capacity to listen to some random kids podcast. Right. So I guess can you talk about the capacity and even what is your professional experience or thought of how uh, like how what's the magnitude difference, the funding, the connections, the sourcing from the Tarrant Republican Party to the Tarrant Democratic Party? It, it boils down to what people see. If your commissioner's court is primarily Republican, your court system is Republican, the people that serve on your city council are Republican, everybody in leadership is Republican, it's easy to buy into that. Right. It's easy for people to say, yes, I'll, I'll donate $100 to the Republican Party because, I mean, everybody's in leadership in the Republican Party. Then you have the Democrats who then ask for the same $100 and then it's like, ooh, I don't know if I want to invest in that because where does my $100 go? We've not elected a countywide Democrat in 30 years. Right. In certain pockets of our county, it's easier for us to raise money because we have the leadership structure in place. So, for instance, in county commissioner court number one, it is a Democrat seat. It is likely to remain a Democrat seat. We don't have much issue with raising money there. However, that does cut as well, because it's like, well, it's a Democrat seat. Why do I want to invest? Because it's a it's a Democrat seat. So the Democratic Party is always dealing with um, the push between wanting to be able to put people in position, but lacking the resources to be able to do so. And it's the, the cart before the horse. We, we need the money so we can elect and but we can't elect unless we have the money. And so it's it boils down to resources and funds. Um I don't know how the GOP is set up as far as how the state trickles down to the county. As much as I love my state Democratic Party, those funds don't trickle down like I thought they did as a candidate. As a candidate, I sat back for months and I thought, well, if the party doesn't have it, go knock on the state party's door. Right. Like, Because that's just how this is supposed to work. And it doesn't necessarily work like that. The state party does have its issues that it has to focus on as a state party, as a collective. And they may not necessarily coincide with that of the Tarrant County Democratic Party. And so it's, it's, it's always a power struggle. In terms of how effective we can be, how trans, how 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 um, 
visible we can be simply and we just simply lack the resources to be able to do so then that's just the reality of it but we are working every single day in order to encourage people to see when people see what's happening then they find a way to want to be involved if we keep up the facade that we got it going on then okay y'all got it going on y'all don't need me i mean since i've been elected in this role it's hey i need your help Right. We're sitting on X amount of dollars. It doesn't look good. And when people see that there is um, a transparent need, they intentionally, unintentionally try to be involved and be supportive of that. And so um, as much as I, I, I hate to say, you know, we are in some degrees behind the eight ball when it comes to the GOP. It just is what it is. But we we can we can turn the tides if everybody decides that they want to chip in, not just financially, because it is more than just financially. We can be sitting on millions of dollars, and if we don't know how to use that and allocate that to the proper issues and resources, we're no better than where we are right now. Yeah. To your point about it's hard, like if all the incumbents are Republican, that's a hard thing to overcome. And so even to put your name on the ballot as a Democrat in it. Oh, my goodness. It's, it's a hard <laughs> it's a hard thing to do. I mean, running a campaign is a challenging thing. It is. And you put yourself out there and you have to raise money and you have to do all these things. And if you a lot of people are just like, oh, but that's you're you're never going to win in Tarrant County. Tell me about it. But unless you try, there's not going to be anybody on the know? ballot for and, people to choose from. So and right now we are really just and it's sad to say give voters options right um when i decided to run for judge in a county that hadn't elected a democratic judge in 30 years i got that every single day right what are you doing there's no way that you're going to win and of course my opponent was a republican certainly and honestly believed that i out campaigned her i in fact outraced her and it, it still didn't matter right um it what really matters is figuring out how we can impact voter engagement and get people to the polls. And I'm so tired of saying that. I am so tired of saying push people to the polls. And I wish that one day I woke up miraculously and I I knew what the way to go about figuring out how to push people to the polls, short of knocking on their door, grabbing them, putting them in the car, buckling them in and taking them to the polls. Which are we not allowed to do that anymore? I thought there were some changes. Unless you're mercy, mercy culture, then you can do it. Exactly. 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 I'm truly invested in trying to figure out what it's going to take to change the mindset yeah no it's 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 a it's it's i and i think that's positively i feel like there is if half or more of the tarrant county is democrat it is we have more registered democrats in tarrant county and we've had more registered democrats in tarrant county for over 30 years we just don't vote I so don't get that. I And like you said, if you could figure out what could trigger people to do it, because as someone who grew up with parents and grandparents who were like, vote. you always vote. Mm-hmm. And as someone who took my kids to the polls mm-hmm. when they were young and Absolutely. now they vote, I I just, it, I find even if I don't think that my vote is going to count, I'm going to go do it, do it right. because that's what I do. But I don't know what it was that, that made that true about me understood that I could impart to somebody else to get them to do it other than it's your civic duty we were in Australia during a campaign cycle and they have compulsory voting there and you get fined if you don't uh, oh, vote uh, how about that so there <laughs> I'm all for that but you would think that the um election of Trump would have in innately um created a compulsory vote yeah that happened you, on my birthday as well oh 2016 election day was on my birthday as well wow you would have thought you know the abolition of roe versus wade would have done it and it's like what more what other issue could be taken away from us that would trigger the compulsory voting in us and i you know i hate to say when you take something away such as voting rights then all of a sudden now you want to vote right Mm -hmm. and so it's like y'all don't realize that's next like we there is a hinge a press yeah. to suppress the vote to take away the vote and the way that the politics are moving it's like y'all don't see like the writing is on the wall um and so i don't want to get to that point right you don't want to get to that point because then it's too late so um 
what we are learning is sometimes you have to make things personal, make things personal in order for it to click that, whoa, I got to do something. The traditional um, voter, average voter, they are dealing with, you know, children, food insecurities. They're dealing with life. Right. And and maybe voting doesn't fall within life, lifing, right, at all. And so when you have to weigh which what is more important, me going to work so I can pay my bills or me going to stand in line to cast a vote, nine times out of ten, you're probably going to go to work and so you can pay your bills. And so the issues that the Tarrant County Democratic Party are dealing with is trying to overcome all of the distractions that people are dealing with on a daily basis and get them to realize that um, as much as your vote matters, because people are tired of hearing that as much as I'm tired of saying it, right? Because it's just one of the, you've, you've heard that since elementary. Um, it is focusing on um, why it matters and the impact of what happens when you don't vote, right? Because your failure to vote is in fact a vote for the other side. Um, and so that's how Trump got elected. Right. Um, I, I think people just didn't think that it was possible. Like, no way. Yeah. And I, I think at the local level, we're constantly pointing to what local officials make decisions about funding, where it goes, the things that they are supporting. Right. And so that can lead to people kind of understanding. And then but they would say, oh, maybe it doesn't matter at the federal level, at the state level. But I'll tell you here in Texas, there's some things going on at the state level Absolutely. that impacts your daily life. Um. I would love to dive into more looking at like the Tarrant Democratic cohesion now of, of just like I, as an outsider looking in, you know, I've never ran for office, never participated. You're the problem, EJ. You've never participated. <laughs> See, I didn't want to be the one to say it. I'm new to the show. <laughs> I feel like my this 817 pod has been a very important part to why young people give a rats in Fort Worth. Um, and so I would say that I think the kicker to me is it looks really fragmented with like, we, we, a lot of infighting, like the, you got the ultra progressive kind of young, you know, let's go. And then you kind of got the establishment kind of, we work our way up and we, you know, I worked for this person and it's just like, how's, what's your kind of take of how do we corral everyone to be on the same page? Cause for some reason I feel like. Even when Trump is crazy, they all still together. They all like even if even if Tim O'Hare is canceling funds, we all here together. And I and like, but for some reason, like here, it's like we step on one crack, oh, we don't like them anymore. And we're, and it's just like that. What's what's your kind of take on where we are with that? So I come from a household where what happens in my house stays in my house, right? You know, we can fall out in the household, but when we hit the outside of that door, we are a united front. Um, that's just my background. I have to understand that my role as chair is not to be a kumbaya. I just can't. I can't. My role is, as chair is to get Democrats elected, simply put. Um, and I do that by using the resources, um, the volunteers that we have in order to make that happen. The internal divide that we have will at some point in time work itself out. I'll tell you, I got elected July 8th. And that's what I, I was about. Kumbaya. We got to get this together. We got to make this work. I'm waste, I was wasting my time. Right. Um, and, and it's not a Tarrant County issue. It, it, it's probably a, a Democratic issue across the state, across the counties, um, across the country. Just is what it is. And so you can wear yourself out on trying to do things that are outside of your control. Um, what's in my control is to do everything that I can to create an opportunity for those candidates who've decided to put their name on the ballot in a county that's a, supposed to be red, but it's not red, and support them throughout their process. And so, you know, I, I just, I hope that at some point in time, we can stop being so offended, offensive, um, that we can stop being so sensitive and, and focus on why we're here, right? And oftentimes, I have to remind myself of why I'm here. Um, and it's not to make friends or anything like that. It's not to create enemies, definitely not. But ultimately, it is to make sure that um, our, our Democrats get an opportunity to be elected and so if we can all figure out what boil down to the nitty-gritty right get rid of all of the things that may have offended us throughout the course of the year um, I'm, I'm dealing right now with people who are offended that I'm not supporting them right 
Yeah. It's touchy-feely, right? I'm the chair of the Terran County Democratic Party. The first thing I cannot do is publicly endorse anybody, right? Um, but, you know, relation, you, you come into this role with relationships, and the relationships are expected that you take your role and, and you support where you can. And, and I, I took an oath of office that said I wasn't going to do that. Yeah. Um, but if, if we can figure out how to get past all of those minutia issues and focus on um, the reality of things, I think we could be much further ahead but the internal divide is where it's always going to be um, a setback yeah I think when I was in office I often was approached by people who had had falling outs or disagreements with other people and were like warning me who I should work with and who I shouldn't work with and and I'm like I'm here to do good and if this person is doing good and wants to work together I'm going to work with that person and if this person is doing if you guys had a falling out 10 years ago and you bring me a newspaper article explaining why that person is a bad person and I haven't had that personal experience with them I'm still going to give them the benefit of the doubt and try to figure out a path forward but I was approached by so many different democratic party groups Mm -hmm. like there's you know for every aspect of life there is their own group and I think that divides up the resources and so and it's a big tent too so when you're dealing with that big of a tent you have things that you don't agree on but like you said try to come together on the things you do agree on um something i loved when you ran is just a collaboration with the other candidates running for other districts and just sales marketing and and that that was just one of my favorite i was like man this feels like a direction that we could get behind because the resources are limited. So how, 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 what's, what's your advice or template for other people running and making that kind of same uh, capacity for their campaigns? It was helpful to us because, and I ran with three other ladies. We all ran for judgeships. The rules that the state has created for judgeships versus other candidacies, um, we are very limited in what we can, cannot do. We are limited on who we can campaign with. We're limited on what we can say because judges are supposed to always be impartial. impartial. If you go back and look at my social media, you'll see that I hardly ever took pictures with other candidates because the ethics rules say that any look of impropriety um, or um, swaying um, is, is frowned upon, right? So, for instance, I probably couldn't have taken a picture with a candidate running for county commissioner one, right? Because I'm, although I'm just a candidate, I'm still held to the same rules as a judge. And so um, we found it very beneficial to be able to campaign together. One, our resources were going to be limited because you think about People are just not going to financially invest in judicial races. We're at the bottom of the ticket. Um, it's a red county, right? You're, you're not going to win. I'm not going to give you $50. And so we would pull our resources together, and that would allow us and allowed us to do radio and billboard and TV that we probably wouldn't have been able to do on our own with what we raised on our own. But more importantly than that, being on the campaign trail is probably the, one of the most intimidating, frustrating, um, time-consuming aspects of your life. And I had no idea. We ran a countywide race, right? Who knew Who knew that you had to reach people in Colleyville and Mansfield, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of counties in Tarrant County. I mean, 41 counties. Cities in Tarrant County. Yes, 41 cities in Tarrant County. Yes, and... You, we wow. couldn't just focus ourselves on Arlington or Fort Worth or Mansfield, the bigger cities. I mean, we had to go to the, the Kennedales and the Forest Hills. And all. And so when I was in Mansfield, I could campaign for all of us. When they were in Euless, they can campaign for all of us. And so, um, granted, we weren't working against each other. Um, and so that just made it um, a perfect opportunity. And like I was saying, when you're dealing with um, issues that only somebody on the campaign trail could understand, to be able to pick up the phone and be like, did you just deal with that too, right? And and having someone 
talk you off the ledge because there were many times I was like, listen, I could just go to Houston and I could just be done, right? Like, I'm not going to have no problem at home running for judge as a Democrat in Houston. Um, And so it was many a nights where, you know, we just had those sessions to help us. And so I encourage, and we're working on um, a coordinated campaign for the party as well. Um, After the primary, we'll be focusing on making sure that our candidates get as much face time and resources as they can because it's then us against the Republicans in November. And so they're going to need as much power and people behind them as possible. But if you are in a position and you're considering running for office um, and you got somebody else that you trust that can run with you, I I say do it. Yeah, it was awesome. It was awesome to see. I loved it. Yeah, it looked great. It it felt felt inspiring. It felt um, uh, collected. Um, Well, we we definitely appreciate the time and you giving us to to talk to you about uh, all the new things. I know you guys recently had a Mardi Gras event as well. Oh, my goodness. It was last night, (laughs) y'all. And I'm I'm such a – my leadership is such that I don't want us to get together and it be programmy. Like, in what I do – I'm probably at somebody's luncheon or something, right, once a week. And it's the same old, same old. It's the chicken and the potato and the, and the starch and, and the, and the uh, green, the vegetable. And it's the program. And you spend most of your time texting your buddy across the room. You're looking at your calendar and what, what you have to do the next day. I didn't want that, right? Because short starting Monday, it, it's boots on the ground between now and November. And so the Mardi Gras ball marks the start of um, Democrats um, moving forward towards November. And I just really wanted it to be a fun experience. Um, Mardi Gras themed. Um, we had the bass and the drums and um, second line and the umbrellas and the music and all the things. It was a great, it was a great, 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 great time. We raised quite a bit of money. Um, and so we can have that, you know, a stash, so to speak, for our coordinated campaign coming in. But it was, it was a great time. It was a great experience. And I encourage persons who are quite not sure about the Tarrant County Democratic Party, if you've never attended an event, let that be your first event. Well, thank you, Crystal, for coming on. It is my pleasure. This was great. I need to be a regular. Yeah, we would love we would love that. Yes. Well, we're looking forward to 2024. Wonderful. Thank you. So now we're at the point of our podcast where we talk about wins and losses, and we start with our losses so that we can end on a win. And my loss this time is an article in the Fort Worth Report that illustrates and highlights the continued infatuation that some of our policymakers seem to have on thinking that technology is going to save all of our transportation problems or solve all of our transportation problems. This article is titled, Plans for Flying Taxis Take Off in Fort Worth and Arlington. And again, just focuses on the idea that we are going to be flying around in aircraft called butterflies, which can fit up to five passengers plus a pilot and luggage and travel up to speeds of 200 miles per hour flying for 100 miles. And some of these, I think, are electric. And so the idea is that they would be quieter and so people wouldn't be bothered by having them flying you know, in their neighborhoods. But when it comes down to it, they're still working with FAA, FFA, no, FAA regulations And the description basically says that we will probably be accommodating these in our airports. So this is not going to solve transportation problems in our neighborhoods. And, you know, ferrying around five people is not mass transit. And it is, while I think it's important to plan for and evolve with technology that is available I don't see this as being some kind of transportation that's going to be available to every man. And if we put this much energy and funding and forethought and planning into tried and true mass transit options, I think we could be making greater strides in tackling these challenging issues. Yeah, this seems more like a win for rich people who need to go from DFW off their PJ to Alliance center to do a business deal. Like that's, you know, they don't want to 
the expenses of getting a helicopter and doing it all, this is going to be, this is more for that scene if this is really any type of real business because you can't have as many taxes we have today on the road. You can't have that many in the air. So it just I, it's terrifying to me. Yeah. I mean, cars crash on the road. So yeah. if you have all that going around up yeah. in the sky, you know, yeah. you fall as well as crash. Yeah. So that does not seem like something that I'm interested yeah. in. Yes. Doing. Yes. And um, yeah. Anyways, my loss is one that you kind of brought to me. And so really these are two losses for you. So everyone and had two losses this week. Let's watch it. You were saying uh, that every <laughs> single time we get on here. Fort now. Worth to spend 148,000 to assess safety in the entertainment district. Uh, there's just a lot of conversation. I won't act like I know um, as much as I feel like you keep up with this kind of area of Fort Worth more than I do, but you just have a lot of um, police having issues here with the culture, uh, with the cultural district or the, Crockett Row or, or whatever we kind of call West 7th and just all of the um, challenges that we're having with violence or crime, um, drunk driving, a uh, large group of people not being able to in- easily get in and out of an entertainment area. Uh, so what is your take on, um, on, on, on what's happening here with this investment to make the entertainment districts more safe? Well, I don't think that the investment is a loss. So I think yeah. that the story there, some of the things that they're trying to tackle are definitely losses. Um, but this idea of having a, um, a focus on bringing to all the entertainment districts. So this is not just going to look at West seventh. It's going to look at the stockyards, West seventh, downtown and the near South side where there's concentrations of entertainment and I think this is kind of a getting out in front of and providing resources to make sure that those entertainment districts can be successful in delivering the entertainment and also not have a negative impact on folks that live in those areas as well. So West 7th, for example, has a lot of residential and so noise and all that can be negatively impactful. A number of years ago, I was at a National League of Cities conference and they spoke to the idea of having a nightmare which is someone who just basically focuses on nightlife and what um, things can be put in place to enable there to be successful nightlife, but not dampen the, the, the side effects of what those incompatible uses could bring. So this is just hiring um, an organization called Safe Night LLC, um, and they look at um, they assess the safety of the four entertainment districts that exist in the city that I just mentioned um, and implement things like having um, ambassadors like we have already in downtown. Um, downtown Fort Worth, Inc. funds the ambassador program in downtown, and those folks are there to direct people, um, you know, redirect people <laughs> and be supportive. And so I think it's helpful to make sure that bad things don't happen and um, to just be good ambassadors to the city and play into that whole welcoming aspect that we have going on here. Um, There was a high speed chase on West seventh recently um, where an individual, I think who was um, drunk ran from the police and the police chased them. And I know someone who was on that street when that happened and nearly got hit, um, which is on his video from his Tesla and on the police video. Um, And my thought was, here we've gone to all this trouble to design this street to calm traffic and make it a safer place for all users. And this moron (laughs) runs from the police and hits two pedestrians and another car. Um, And my friend who was there and almost got hit said, well, you do know that the fact that there were concrete medians probably made it so that there wasn't a head-on collision because it kept him from going into oncoming traffic to try to get away from the police and to try to go around the cars that were in front of him. And so even with um, somebody who, you know, chooses or in their impaired state maybe doesn't make a conscious choice to do these dangerous things, the 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 construction of that roadway or the the infrastructure of that roadway hopefully kept it from being worse than it was. Um, but again, two pedestrians were hit and somebody else as well. So I just, I think that all of this is, it, it's a loss that these things, negative things happen, but it's a win that the, the city is trying to look at ways to improve it. Awesome. Well, let's go ahead and move into wins. Um, I will go ahead and get my win. Uh, out of the way as we're going to talk about Fort Worth ISD and O.D. Wyatt's new 
a student-ran grocery store for students and staff. Uh, this is the kind of a first for the district to be doing something like this. Uh, the shelves will be completely stocked and fridges will be filled. They will have students from their entrepreneurial group um, running this. It will be called the Ch Ch Chaparral Thrive Market. Uh, it's a collaborative between Texas Health Resources and Fort Worth ISD. Uh, just anytime you can get kids to, one, learn about um, money and running a business, uh, sustaining a business, but then also how to find a problem and solve it, like access to food when you're in a school and or around a uh, an area with maybe not a lot of access. Uh, so I'm just really excited to see this happen. And uh, I think it's good for kids when they can. I mean, kids are ready to change the world today. Kids are ready to work, get involved. Uh, and some of them produce better than us anyways. So I think this is a really cool thing. And my win also has to do with food. <laughs> um, Keith Lee was in Fort Worth, and I saw a lot of hubbub on social media when he announced he was coming. He's a um, social media influencer who goes to restaurants and then critiques the food in those restaurants and posts about it. And he has quite a large following, so people were very interested in him coming to Fort Worth as well as Dallas because when he originally started talking on his social media platforms, he was very focused on, I'm coming to Dallas, I'm coming to Dallas. And so a lot of people were saying, hey, you should come to Fort Worth. I even added some little tweets and, and responses to his inquiry about where he should go to suggest a couple of places. And one of the places that he did end up going to is a restaurant that is close to my heart. I, I was uh, supportive of their endeavors from the very beginning when they first opened or even before they opened when they were planning to open. And that is uh, the Taste Community Restaurant in Fort Worth near Southside, which is a nonprofit that provides healthy food without a price tag. So they have chef-prepared meals and volunteer wait staff and cooks and um, hostesses and all of the above. And he went there, and it was already really crowded, so he ended up leaving without any bags of food. But he was so taken with their mission that he went back into the restaurant and made a $4,000 donation and Put it out on his social media platforms, which I'm sure is going to result. 15 million followers on TikTok. Yep. I'm sure that's going to result in a large turnout. So I think everyone needs to put on their patient pants because <laughs> the folks that work at Taste Project are volunteers. And so, um, you know, it's fabulous food. And you also need to take the opportunity to make a donation when you eat there if you are in a position to do that um, because that's how they fund what they do. It's awesome. That's super cool. And um, sorry, my patient patient pants never fit me. Um, <laughs> and so, and Jeff, Jeff, the one of the the, the owner, chef yeah, and owner, he, he is a good good person. Like that, I, I've met him maybe once or twice on like some random groups, like social entrepreneurship stuff. And that's just a good guy. You know, they came here from California. Ooh, way to wrap up the show. All go. right. I think they lived in San Diego before they came yes, to Fort Worth. And actually make something that's cool and relatable uh, to the Bring youth value. on TikTok. Bringing value. Um, bringing community together. Um, there's no... Addressing a social need. Yeah. I mean, wow. Look at how good these Californians are to our Fort Worth. All righty. Well, hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to the 817 Podcast. We had a full episode with you today. So... Um, you guys have been great. Thank you so much for listening to the 817 podcast. Thanks for joining us. Now they control your life, control your life.